and welcome to another episode of Planning People, the NMA podcast. I'm Natasha Turner and this week I'm joined by the Chief Executive of an award-winning Scottish wealth management firm to talk about company culture. Fraser Porter is Chief Executive of AAB Wealth. He joined the business in 2018 and has held roles before at the Wealth Division of RBS. Hello, it's good to have you with us. Hi there. How are you doing today? I'm good, thank you. Good. Yeah. We're also joined by our UK Head of Audience Development, Ian Horne, who very kindly performed the role of middleman in setting up this podcast today. It's good to have you with us. Thanks, Natasha. Now, Fraser's here because AAB has won the Investors and People Platinum Accreditation and has also secured a place on the Sunday Times 100 Best Companies to Work For list for four consecutive years. So we want to know a bit more about that and you know about how company culture leads to those awards. AAB placed at number 37 on the top 100 list, making 2019 the firm's third year in the top 40 best companies to work for. But before we talk about this, uh, we have to do something that is now a tradition on this podcast, uh, which is a, a quiz for both of you. There are five questions. You guys are going to go head to head, um, and they're all about culture. So our online producer, Ollie, has written these. So I haven't actually read them, so we actually a surprise for all of us, but I do have the answers here, so there we go. Fantastic, I've got to jump so, in here with my, my handful of years of middle management experience to be pitted against a former director of RBS is, is quite the uh, quite the gauntlet being thrown down there. Well, no, I mean, no pressure at no all. No pressure at all there. <laughs> not not mind games at all from me. <laughs> I know, yeah, no so mind games. Just like, that, yeah. <laughs> just trying to break you down here before we start. No, um, no they, they seem to be quite wide ranging, so. Okay. Right, number one. The 80s hit song Karma Chameleon by Culture Club, oh, I see what he's doing, was released <laughs> in which year? Oh, I will go 84. I'm, I've no idea. I'm going to go 88 purely because it's my birth year. So close, it's 83. Oh. I think we'll give you a point for that. That was, that was close. I don't know. Yeah, there should be a range. Yeah. <laughs> um, the song was written by Boy George and featured on the album Colour by Numbers. Right, number two. In what year was Liverpool named European Capital of Culture? Was it, oh, there is multiple choice for this, 2008, 2009, or 2011? Now, this is a bit of a worry because I'm a big Liverpool fan. Same. <laughs> so Same. Know that. Yeah. Well. I'll go first if that's all right. Yeah, it's after you. I, I think it's 2011. Okay. I'll go 2009 then. Oh, you're both wrong. Oh. 2008. <laughs> <laughs> Liverpool's yeah. contribution to international culture was officially recognised in 2008 when a giant French spider was paraded through the streets amid tributes to the Beatles. I you even wrote an article that? about this last oh, year. Oh, you did? I wrote well, an article about it. I'm pretty sure I put that year in. got that. I, I could not remember. I mean, time flies. It feels like 2011, but <laughs> it was not. It's 11 years ago. Okay, this is a work culture question. In which country are people generally most comfortable giving direct negative feedback to colleagues at work? Is it A, Brazil, B, Japan, or C, Germany? I will say Germany. Oh, I'll, uh, for a second, be indifferent, I'll say, was it Brazil, the first option? Yeah. I'll go Brazil. It is Germany. And I've just noticed this isn't going to work because Ollie's written, I've lived there and I can assure you when things go wrong in Germany, you're going to know about it. I've not lived in Germany. So <laughs> well, that bit of this, uh, this question does not work. But um, <laughs> anyway, Ollie said, whether it's an undercooked burger or a serious misdemeanor in the workplace, the Germans are generally pretty frank, or should I say Frankfurt? Oh, my God. Oh, wow, well, yeah, that was Ollie. <laughs> there we go. 
Yeah. Um, <laughs> got his fingerprints all over uh, it. About offering feedback. Okay, number four. In which country would you typically see the most high fives in the workplace? Is it A, the US, B, Korea, or C, Great Britain? Oh, okay. I'd go. I feel like he's put US in as a red herring. <laughs> I feel it has to be a red herring. So, up to the US, Korea, or Great Britain? Oh, that's tough. Which Korea? Oh, <laughs> that's a big question as well. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go Korea because I think USA is a red herring. I'll definitely go USA. Yeah, it is. It's oh, US. yeah. Sometimes we need a bit of American positivity in our lives, and there's no better way than with a high five. Apparently. Um, in, okay, this is the last question. In which country are you most likely to go out drinking with your boss? Is it A, France, B, Germany, or C, Japan? I'm actually going to Japan in three weeks, having never been. Uh, so this is quite quite interesting question. I will say Japan. Are you going with your boss? No, your I'm boss? going with my wife. Okay. <laughs> I'm going with my wife, actually. So, There's yeah. a joke there so, somewhere. In, in a way there, I am going with my boss. <laughs> <laughs> She'll love that. Uh, I'm going to say uh, Japan. Okay. Okay, and I'm going to take the, the wine drinking route and go France. It is Japan. Is it? There you, go. Right, there you go. Drinking after work is quite common in Japan, which can make for very long nights and quite early mornings. So that's something to look forward to then. Okay. I worked in Hong Kong for a, a bit when I was at RBS, and th that would fit in with the, oh, the really? culture that okay. I experienced oh, there in Hong Kong. Yes. Yeah, so. Okay. Well, that that completes the quiz. I think we've got an obvious I think, Yeah, I think I've been here. thoroughly beaten there. <laughs> Did you um, know the answers, and you're just being kind? <laughs> no, I refuse to uh, give no. them to. <laughs> Sadly, yeah, they, they did do a good job of hiding the answers from me. Yeah. Um, so now let's move on to company culture more generally and talk a bit about your background. Um, Ollie's written, of course we know it isn't just about free coffees and bananas. Um, so, <laughs> so can you tell us a bit more what it is about? First of all, run through what led you to AAB in 2018 and what made that an attractive business project to work on. Um, I would say, first and foremost, it was the people that I met when I was having the meetings about discussing the opportunity that, uh, that, that there was at the firm. I was really impressed with their positivity, sort of passion, their approach, sort of sense of collective purpose. And I just um, thought these are people I could work with and really uh, got a good vibe, if you like. And then th we were very clear about their strategy and their vision for the business and their growth ambitions but about growing in the right way, not just about being um, financially driven, but being, mm -hmm. you know, gr having solid foundations for the business and growing in the right way. And they were very um, clear about the sort of culture in the business and the sense of purpose and values that, that ran through the business at all levels. So when I just sort of took a step back and, and I sort of appraised the, the various meetings we had, I just sort of got a really good vibe and felt this was a good fit. Um, I didn't have any sort of doubt that this was an organisation I wanted to go and work for um, and really just uh, felt quite enthused about the opportunity. Mm. Uh, great business, good reputation in the marketplace, good um, quality of people that I'd encountered when I'd uh, you know come across um, people from AB. Uh, they'd been on a good growth trajectory over the last few years anyway and they were now starting to move, move into Edinburgh and into London. And it just felt like an exciting time to, to join the firm. So all, all of that put mm. together, uh, I just thought this seemed like a great opportunity. What mm. kind of thing constitutes a good vibe though? Like what specific things? 
Well, I, I, my father once sort of told me, you know, if, when you're sort of weighing up opportunities in life, whether it's to do with business or whatever, if there's doubt, there's generally doubt for a reason. And on this, I just didn't have that. So I thought, well, the people seem great and they seem to be very, as I say, positive and They're all sort of singing from the same hymn sheet. The, the business is growing, it's being successful. The values that they're talking about and the focus on it, that sort of fits well with me. So I just, all of that just made me think, this seems like a really good opportunity. I didn't sort of come away with any niggling doubts about, you know, X, Y, or Z. I just sort of thought, nah, this seems like a great, um, a great opportunity, you know, hopefully um, something we can take forward, which thankfully we did. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and, you know, for listeners at home who are not as familiar, you know, the uh, Investors in People Award, you've got the Platinum Accreditation. Yes. Uh, you know, what, what do you have to do uh, or show to, you know, to achieve that status? Yep. Um, I was having a check if there was a definition or whatever in terms of what, how you had to actually, uh, what you had to achieve to, to, def um, to uh, uh, sorry, what you had to do to achieve that. But I mean, it's basically around um, high performing organisations that are operating at a high level with a particular focus on their people, right? And developing their staff and bringing them through and creating opportunities and career development within the organisation. So, um, you know, investors in people, you know, spending time and uh, money and resource investing in the staff within the organisation and being able to demonstrate that consistently across uh, staff at all different levels in different aspects within the firm. Uh, so the, the accreditation was achieved after feedback from staff you know, throughout the firm. Uh, and obviously that's then evaluated and, and various interviews and questions, etc. So uh, it's something the firm's very proud of, uh, that and the being on the, the top 100 and the number 37 in the Times, uh, best companies to work for, you know, these things are really celebrated in the, in the firm because it's seen as an important aspect of the of the business. I say, does applying for the award make you rethink what you do as well? Has has the accreditation improved you as a, you know, AAB as a business too? Mm -hmm. Difficult for me to answer that, if you know, given that I've, I've only been in a, a matter of months. I, I don't think applying for the award would change the direction or the, or the behaviours or the management outlook for the business. It's more that if there's recognition as a result of a, the um, approach that, that the leadership team take and how that's um, a carried out throughout the business, if there's recognition of that, that's great. That's almost the end result. Applying for wouldn't change the approach within the business, I would say. Um, it's just a, a byproduct, hopefully, of, of a bit of recognition of, of, of good work that's been going on in the organisation. Is there some things that you can point to that create good culture, such as mm. maybe diversity is a big one we've mm -hmm. been talking about recently, mm -hmm. or um, you know openness around mental health, that kind of mm -hmm. thing? What are the specific things that you could point to, and also that AAB has? Mm -hmm. I mean, I would say it sort of starts with having a clear vision and direction for the business, and being able to communicate that um, from. A, across all aspects of the firm and then people buying into that and thinking actually I want to be part of that and within that then there's a sense that people feel valued it doesn't matter what role they're in mm -hmm. and doesn't matter what level or how long they've been in the firm they feel a sense of value and purpose and then without out, out of that comes a working together, collaboration, teamwork, all of these great things that then people aren't just out for themselves, they're working as, you know, as a unit for a sense of purpose, etc. 
um, people feeling that, as I say, that they're valued, but also that they get recognition. And that there's equal levels of recognition given, you know, at senior roles, but equally at, at, at less senior roles. Um, I think that the, the focus uh, in terms of people development is absolutely massive if you're going to have a good culture. So rather than just rewarding the stars, you know, which, which sometimes happens, actually trying to develop people at all, all levels of the organisation so that they feel they can have their career in the firm. Um, and it doesn't matter whether you're sitting in one part of the business or another. That's consistent across the firm. These things, I think, play a big part in culture because people can often put up vision uh, phrases or things for their culture, but actually if they just sort of stay on the page or stay on the desk and they're not sort of lived day in, day out by the leadership, but equally by other people in the organisation, it, it doesn't really flow through. Uh, you know, culture's an intangible thing, you, can't, you know. So uh, it's only really something that uh, is a result of, of everybody's collective behaviours. If you like, so yes, there's, you know, of course, respect and diversity, and there's a we have a, we can come on to it in more detail if you want, but focus on well-being and mental health, etc., and that's that's part of something. But actually, how people sort of uh, conduct themselves, how people feel valued and integrated in a business, that's really for me the bedrock of of, of good culture. Mm -hmm. And equally, if they don't feel valued and they don't uh, feel there's opportunities for them and they don't feel their time's invested in them or they're they're supported. A, through good times and bad, then that's not a good culture. I mean, how do you encourage diversity of opinions? You know, is there anything you do at AAB that makes people feel comfortable speaking to senior management, for instance? Mm -hmm. It's a good question because I, I've worked for 20 years in corporate organisations um, and moving to a firm that is a partnership firm, there's, I've really noticed a, a, a significant difference in a culture in terms of openness and you know, there's the old cliche of the doors always open, but in terms of the openness to the, the most senior uh, people in the firm, which are the partners of which I, I want, and that, that there's a real a sense that that is vitally important. It's almost a sort of sense of a family business within um, Anderson Anderson. But I mean, it's, it's there's 250 people in Aberdeen, 30 in Edinburgh, but there is a sense of anyone has access to any of the partners if you wish to go and speak to them. There's not layers of hierarchy and layers of committees before a decision can get made, etc. There's also very open uh, meetings that I, I've you know, uh, been at uh, in, in the wealth business but also in the wider firm that really encourage challenge, you know, constructive challenge uh, and uh, sharing of opinions. And there's not the culture, uh, which I have experienced in the past, of people bringing something into a meeting, a senior meeting, because they think that's what the boss would like to hear, or what they want to see, or what they sort of, that's what the boss believes in, and therefore I better just go along with that. That is not um, the approach that I've seen in AB in, in the 10 months that I've been there. So I think having that, if you want to culture, that um, open door policy, if you like, that actually uh, does exist rather than just sort of seeing it. I, th I think that makes a huge difference in the organisation, and I, I, something I've really been struck by in the in the time that since I've joined the firm. Mm. I mean, what's the layout of the office like? Because in CityY, you know, uh, our senior management team is very approachable. They're at the desks. It's you know, no no kind of formalised offices. It's open space. Yeah. What's it like at AAB? Is it much the same? Well, I'm based in Edinburgh, and we don't have any uh, formal. Uh, 
meeting rooms for the partners in Aberdeen. It's all open planned. There are there are um, uh, offices for the partners, but they often have their desks sitting outside as well. It's a each of the wings has a name on it in the in the organisation, and you have the sort of a th enthusiasm wing and I can't remember, the communication wing. They're all very positive um, words. Uh, it's something I was sort of struck by. It's quite different to when I worked in the bank. And it just sort of seems to flow through the organisation. It's, it's a pretty sort of open, fun organisation to, to be in. Uh, and, you know, and that's coming from me as one of the sort of older <laughs> person in the firm. And in just 10 months, you've managed to get, uh, get on board with that approachability, challenging idea. So if we asked any of your staff, would they already be kind of, uh, you know, know you and have come and spoken to you and come into a meeting with you? That's already happened? Absolutely, yeah. When I first joined, actually, I um, put time in the diary and the same amount of time with everybody in, in the wealth business. So there's not that many people, 16 people. Uh, and I wanted it done in a, in a random order as well. So I didn't want to sort of see the most senior people first and then work my way down the sort of hierarchy, if you like. Uh, and I wanted to do that just to get an understanding of, because I, I think, you know, you, to have people who are engaged and clear about their role and um, and enjoying being in in a, in the firm, you've got to understand what actually floats the boat, what they're what they're interested in, what they're how they're looking to develop, etc. Another way for doing that is actually listening to somebody, mm -hmm. rather than just trying to impart you know direction and vision and strategy from the top. That's not going to work. So I mean, getting to know a uh, staff in the, or colleagues in in, the, in my team absolutely pivotal mm -hmm. because. Without them, there is no business. It's as simple as that. And it doesn't matter which level we're talking about in the, in the wealth business. Every single person plays a key role. So uh, they're a great team, socialise together, um, take the mickey out of the. I am absolutely the brunt of jokes, just as anyone else. It's not like you can't take, you know, take the mickey out of me or whatever. It's absolutely uh, you know, a, a sort of fun place to work. We have a, a lots of individuals. We've got a golf competition in the work which is quite amusing because everybody sort of wants to beat everyone else and there's no uh, worrying about if you're playing someone more senior than you. All sorts of fun good good times out and stuff. So it's a great, yeah, people's, uh, the people in the firm are, are great but it's just been good fun getting to know them I have to say. Yeah. Genuinely, it really has. So without naming any names, have you seen any examples of really bad culture in financial services? Um, that have either inspired you to do things differently or that you could give advice to how they could change their culture? This intangible thing, what can people yeah. actually do practically? I mean, I, I worked um, for RBS for 15 years and that organisation's been through a, a massive um, amount of change mm. in terms of size, in terms of geographic reach, but also in, in terms of financial performance, but and also in terms of culture. So the organisation I joined in 2003, completely different to the organisation I left in 2018. And if we're talking about culture, um, there's probably been as, as much or as big a change in the culture than anything else. Everybody else will think about the, you know, the fact that it's not so global anymore, it's much smaller, etc. But actually the cultural change has been huge. It used to be all about growth and financial performance, and that's that that drove everything. And um, Ross McEwen, who's the CEO just now, Stephen Estep, before him, done a fantastic job in changing that um, approach uh, in terms of it being far more about doing the right thing. 
by your customers, doing the right thing by uh, your colleagues, doing the right thing by the people you engage with if it's third parties, and actually having a strong foundation there and then taking that business forward. And as a result, financial results and performance will come. And that's the sort of turnaround job. So I, I, that's it. I learned a huge amount and I've been very fortunate in my time at RBS. I learned a lot and I've worked with a lot of great people, intelligent, uh, fun people to be with, you know, great at their job and learned masses of positive things that hopefully will stand me in good stead going forward in my career. I also learned some experiences and had some experiences um, that I thought, well, do you know what, that's perhaps not how I would do it going forward or perhaps I can learn from this and, you know, you, you learn as much from the difficult times uh, I worked for the Chief Exec of Wealth through um, 2008, 9, 10, and that was a challenging time, to put it bluntly, and he, he reported directly into the Group Chief Executive um, of, the, of, of RBS. So that was a very challenging time, but you learn as much from those times, mm -hmm. from aspects that are good, but also aspects that perhaps you think, right, that's not how it should be done, or if I had my time over again, and I was in charge, this is how I would do it slightly differently. So it's been, that's something I, I will, always drawn, I have to say, experience-wise. A lot of positives, yeah. a lot, and, and they can sometimes get derailed, um, you know, in the, the press and the media, but also uh, a lot of experiences where you think, actually, things could have been done differently. And the example I gave before about perhaps taking something up the line to senior leaders because you thought that's what would have got approved and signed off and that's what they wanted to see, that culture's gone. Mm -hmm. And it has been replaced. And Ross and the leadership team have done a great job there. Um, but yeah, huge experience there, I have to say. Yeah, and what are the challenges of you know instilling culture in a bigger organisation? Because I mean, it can be done. You hear about you know people like Google and Apple that are quite famous for their company yes, culture. Just but it must yeah. must be difficult to do with, with a bigger headcount. So what are the kind of lessons learned from you know, from you from RBS? You can't do it just from the top down, you know, and it's not it's not even at sort of the next level, the sort of executive, that, you know, or the senior, senior management. It has to sort of, sort of come from the sort of middle management and they have to buy in. And actually, if you're sort of, if it's the sort of the stick approach to leadership of just trying to drive this through, people just won't buy into that. There has to be the sort of the, the two-way, like any anything, a relationship has to work for both sides. And so actually people have to think, right, I, I'm, you know, I'm feeling valued, all the things we've been talking about, I'm feeling valuable, opportunities, you know, I can I buy into the future direction of this business, yep, that's fine. Therefore, those people will um, communicate that to their staff. You know, it's, the wider the organisation goes, the more people you need bought, you know, you bought in to be able to get that message out. You know, it's easier um, to do that in a smaller organisation, of course, because it's easier to speak to everybody at, you know, at the same time. I, I can speak to the, my whole team, there's only 16 um, people, so I can speak to everybody with, you know, with myself or my, my, my team, very easy. But when you've got, it was 250,000 roughly, um, people in the organisation, very difficult to do that across different geographies, different cultures, you know, different ways of working, uh, different businesses. You know, very, very, very um, challenging to do that. So. I've heard that the I think it was the PIMFA diversity conference actually. Um, I think it was in relation to flexible working. So it's really the middle management yeah. that needs to buy in because the senior leaders can quite easily get on board with oh yeah of course we'll get x amount of people in or we'll introduce this new policy that means people can work from home or whatever. But the people having to implement it or that it's mm -hmm. affecting or that they have to line manage and manage that day to day. Yes. They need to be. They are absolutely pivotal because yeah. often the people making the great strategic decisions and 
uh, setting direct for the business, they're often not. They're often quite removed yeah. from the day to day. And so what happens is the people who are involved day to day, all that does is alienate them because they think, well, you don't understand what mm. what it's like. So um, far, far smaller um, organisation an example, but I, I've been spending time over the past 10 months trying to understand what everybody does in wealth rather than just looking at the financial performance and the numbers and growing our assets, yeah. etc. Actually understanding what our client services support team do day in, day out. What does a typical day look like? What frustrates them? What do they enjoy about their job? What do they not enjoy? What could we be doing better or 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 less of and stopping so that actually would help them and doing that across with you know the different aspects within well. I just think that is important um, to, to make informed decisions. And the bigger the organisation, the harder it is to do that because yeah. the, the more layers there are and the, the further you are removed. When I used to work at the, the head office of RBS at, um, at Gogoburn a, 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 in finance and you're very removed from a customer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you know they're ultimately what makes you employed. So it's very, you know, it's very difficult. It's easier in a small organisation, as I say. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that's a challenge. And that's, yeah. Yeah, and, and moving back to financial yeah. planning. I mean, what is it that AAB does different from other advice firms? Because you know we meet people across the UK. Everyone does things a little bit differently. What are the things you would pull out from AAB? Yep. I mean, I can't really comment on, you know, what other, what other firms. Yeah. I can only sort of comment on what what we do. Uh, and ultimately, everything is about doing the best by our client or our customer, right? I mean, that is, and I've been impressed and, and really quite taken aback by fact that runs through every single person who's working uh, for AB Wealth. And there are, we have, excuse me, six people qualities across firm. That's great, okay? And they're, they're great. But actually, uh, if you don't sort of live those sort of values day in, day out, and trying to do, get in and do your best by client, be able to look your colleague in the eye because you're trying to do your best with by your teammates as well, uh, that's not going to work. Uh, the, it ultimately comes down to the quality of the people, right, and, the, and therefore the quality of the advice. I mean, that's what financial planning is all about. Uh, and we can have as much, many management conferences as you want or strat- strategy sessions, but ultimately, I think financial planning, your, your job is to make your clients confident in their financial future. That's really it, right? And it's not actually not rocket science. That's what we're there to do. How can we do that? Right, we can do it by understanding, listening to clients. So spending more time listening to somebody about them and their family or their business, whatever, rather than trying to be sort of interesting yourself and talking about how good you are. So getting to know clients, that's one thing. And then going, right, how can we help them? And what can we do that we can help them? And equally, what do we not do? And be quite open about that. And then trying to form a plan that not doesn't sort of just look good for us, but actually they buy into it. It comes back to buying into it. They go, do you know what? This really fits and I'm feeling comfortable with this. And I, I think this is the right direction for me and my family or whatever it might be. Um, and I do think being able to look somebody in the eye and they and say, you know, I'm doing my very best by you. And we think, we're, what I'm doing is driven by doing the best for you, not by trying to drive revenue or, you know, bring in business or and that. That's a byproduct of doing the right thing. And that is really the sort of core of AB. I can't comment about what other firms do. Mm-hmm. Of course, we're looking to grow. Of course, we're looking to expand and, uh, you know, develop the business. But ultimately, having a good, solid base around quality people who are capable of their job, 
they're clear about what their role is, they're motivated and engaged, and they're interested in doing the very best by um, their clients, and that then means they've got to provide them with the right level of service, right level of advice, etc. That's what our business is about. Mm -hmm. Actually, you mentioned quality of people. When you're recruiting, are there any kind of soft factors you're looking for, you know, beyond the, the usual, you know, works hard, professional, that kind of stuff? Are there any personality types you have a preference towards or anything? I don't, have a, I don't have a preference towards a, a, you know, any personality types. What I do when um, I, we're sort of assessing we have been recruiting is thinking, kind of see you fitting in the business. Will you fit well with the team, with the people you're going to work with? Do the sort of values that you're talking about or you're, you're sort of starting to demonstrate when you're communicating, because it's quite difficult recruiting. You see somebody for an hour, mm. uh, it's been like speed that you meet them for an hour or something, and then you're deciding whether you're going to move forward or not. You know, uh, uh, So you're trying to understand the individual over quite a short period of time, but I actually understand what, what drives them, what motivates them, what values they've got. Do they chime with mm. what we have in the, in the firm? Um, and do I think they will enjoy the, the role, do I think they will enjoy the team and fit in well? That is as important as a, or actually that is more important than, you know, the degree or whatever the degree is. You know, there can be lots of people who have got great degrees, but actually not everybody one of those would fit in well in our organisation. Some might be more suited to another organisation or whatever. So the, the actual soft side that you talked about, the people's got, that is massively important. Um, and sometimes you can get that wrong because it's a short period of time that you're, you're engaging with somebody when you're interviewing them. But hopefully when you have, you know, that's why you have two or three people doing interviews and you, you get to meet the white other colleagues in the firm before a decision is sort of made, etc. Hopefully you come to a consensus of opinion that actually, yes, this can see this person fitting in the organisation. Is there a danger if you're looking for people that are going to fit in with the people that are already there that you end up getting just one mm -hmm. type of person then and not looking for those people that would fit in but do do things differently? Yeah, that is a great mm. question. And, you know, those people recruit people because they'll fit with, you know, th themselves just now and not be a challenge, etc. And it's getting that balance right. You want to have people who... You think I can see you in the organisation and you, you know, developing through, but equally I'm not looking for clones of people yeah. that you know we've already got, and so it's getting that balance, you know, um, and that's a challenge, and that's why I say recruitment can be quite difficult, which is why really focus now on actually developing talent within the organisation mm -hmm. and starting to bring people through, because guess what? Then they're embedded in the culture and. They've either enjoyed so far, and hopefully that means they want to stay in the organisation and progress. And if they haven't, then they, they maybe they will move on. You know, I was reading something that I think it was eighty-seven. You know, um, staff or uh, who are engaged in an organisation are eighty percent less likely to leave than staff who are not. So we want people who are engaged, and then we also want them to be thinking, right, I want to be here, so I want to progress through, so I want to do my exams, I want to develop my communication skills, get more experience, might move to a different element or a different area within the firm, but actually bringing talent through and creating a, a pool of uh, people that we, you know, that in terms of succession planning, that's key. Probably been a challenge, if I'm being honest, in AB Wealth previously, mm. um, and Recruitment at a more senior level has perhaps been done on a, from a, let's bring from uh, out with. My uh, drive relief over the next few years will be to, to change that and to actually be able to bring people through 
at all levels, and whether that be in financial planning or in the para planners or in client service support or the technical side in terms of risk and compliance, all of that. Uh, and you can't do that overnight. Mm. And that comes back to investing in people and uh, what we were talking about at the start, I mean, you know, and understanding what, what they want to do. Because not everybody wants to do the same job. Therefore, they don't all need the same development and skills and they don't all need to go and sit the same exams and have the same qualifications you know so understanding rather than having a one-size-fits-all approach for the team which is what we're not about and comes back to understanding what people are yeah. about so yeah so yeah. you've touched on your plans then for bringing people through about succession planning what are the plans for the business over the next few years well, we're looking to grow, as most CEOs would probably tell you. Um, you know, we've just moved uh, into this uh, into the Edinburgh office in in June uh, last year. So what's that? That's um, yeah, about sort of ten months. Um, and really establishing that now, we've got thirty people in that office across the wider firm, not just in the wealth business, but establishing that and then starting to to grow there. We want to grow in the right way. So we're not sort of setting financial targets and go, right, we have to hit these targets, come what may. It's more about, as I say, building a business that's got the right foundations, the right structure, the right people. We go about things in the right way. And we've got a strategy that we believe is scalable, but scalable in the right way. We're not just sort of chasing revenue, if you like. And doing that in a way that we can grow, but we don't, um, we don't impact client service. Our client uh, retention rate at the moment is 99%. We've got 300 clients right, at the moment. We've got about 320 million of assets. The client retention is unbelievable and the feedback from existing clients is fantastic. So I, I, of course I want to grow, but I don't want to grow at the detriment of then uh, starting to have poorer client service, etc. because that's just not a good uh, way. So um, we've got some ambitious targets in terms of a how we think we can grow the business, but actually if we, we, we may take a, cent, a rain check on them in two years' time and go, well, actually, for us to do that, we're probably going to have to change our model. Do we want to do that? Is that the right thing? So taking always sort of coming back and um, sitting with the leadership team uh, and going, right, what's our purpose? What are we about? Let's not lose sight of that to try and chase growth. Mm-hmm. And that's what I mean by growing in the right way. And perhaps comes back to I've seen organisations where you've tried to grow too quickly and you lose sight of actually what made you successful in the first instance. And I, I've joined a, a, a business that has grown from 80 million to about 320 million in three years, which is a lot for the northeast of Scotland. Mm. I do not want to try and grow and then damage that. I want to make sure that we build on that success. We 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 develop a. a, a a location in Edinburgh and, a, and an office and et cetera in Edinburgh that replicates that level of service, the same culture, the same approach, same work ethic and ethos, and we can then look to push on beyond that. So it's not about we've got to be at this number of AUAs by this date because yeah. all that does is drive behaviour. It's got to be the right behaviours will drive the right financial results. Mm-hmm. And how about the culture side of it as well? I mean, what are you going to do to improve that moving forward? Is that an ongoing review process? Do you have any kind of processes in place for that? I mean, I, it's, it's a pretty good culture just now. Yeah. So I, I'm not going to come in and go, I think we all we need to you know, fundamentally sort of do a root and branch mm-hmm. review. You know, that's just a, a, a evolving. Mm-hmm. Now, that evolves as you move into a different location. 
because everybody's been in Aberdeen so far in the office. So now we've got people in the wealth business sitting in Edinburgh and in due course we will have them in London. And so ensuring that uh, you, you, know, you have the same culture th across different locations is a challenge. Uh, that's one thing. Um, I'm not, you know, we're, we're, we're very focused on um, people's well-being and their development, etc. We don't want to lose sight of that because I don't think there's any sort of revolutionary change really needed. It's just something that evolves. And a lot of that comes from feedback from, client, uh, from staff. So we're constantly, there's lots of opportunities and lots of methods for, for feeding back and what they enjoy and what they don't enjoy. It's a very sociable firm in the wider firm as well. There's a lot of a focus on doing charitable work in terms of, well, that's great, but actually people sort of seem to buy into it rather than feeling they've had their arm twisted to do it. Yeah. Right? And then there's lots of sort of social side of things as well, uh, which, which are great. So really just sort of building on that. And I think the, the partners are really focused on growing the business without that side of the things changing. You know, they don't want, that's what I mean about not growing at all costs. They don't want that to change because that is what has made the business so successful uh, since, since it was founded. So it's more listening to our colleagues, working with colleagues in the wider firm to actually make sure that the culture is still positive, one that's positive, I and mean, if, if, there's, if there's issues, we address them, etc. But no great revolutionary change, to be honest with you. It's, there's, there's not a fundamental problem there. Perhaps there has been in another organisation I've worked in, but that's, you know. Yeah. So that's why I'm saying that, yeah. We touched a bit earlier on um, more specific things like mental health, which was the topic in last week's podcast, um, and people feeling maybe in the past or in some organisations like they can't come forward if they're having a rough time or whatever the case may be. Similarly, um, if you don't see other people like you in an organisation, you might not have role models above you um, to go to. So how integral is that in your business and what kind of things are you doing to address those more two more specific issues? I mean, mental health and well-being is, you know, absolutely critical because people are the what the business is about. Uh, I mean, we've tried to give the staff a clear message that there's really support for them you know and if someone wants to speak to anybody about any issues it's really open policy that we've got online well-being portal we've got online course that's great we've also got hr people who have been trained as scottish mental health um support people etc and all that that's great so really trying to just but ultimately it's about the leadership team and the middle management making people really believe that actually it is an open uh, policy here to be able to speak to someone because you can sort of put a, a comms out in an email but actually if people don't really feel that yeah then they won't speak to anybody and that's when you've got issues so we can we've we've done a lot in terms of as i say online a uh, well-being courses uh, uh, there's a lot of um, facilities available to people but it's really about getting that message out stuff and I, and I really hope that they do, you know, if you were to ask them that they would say, no, it's a really open um, place to work. I would be able to speak to somebody if I had a real issue or actually I have been able to speak to somebody mm -hmm. and it's helped. Yeah. And, you know, um, and I would say, you know, it's been a positive outcome as a result of speaking to somebody. So uh, that, that's probably how I would, how I would answer that.
Mm. Not being funny, it's a tough question, isn't it, when you talk about mental health, but at the bigger organisations you've been at, have you found that people are perhaps reluctant to talk about it? Because, you know, similar to telling the boss exactly what the boss wants to hear, mm -hmm. uh, you know, someone trying to make a name for them or a career for themselves probably doesn't want to openly admit they've got mental health issues. So do you find that it's difficult to get these things communicated in, in bigger organisations? I, I honestly think that if people are, are, are genuine, there would have been a sense in years gone by that it was seen as a, a sort of sign of weakness, mm. right? Um, I'm not, I mean, I can't talk, I've only ever worked in financial services, but uh, certainly in financial services and sort of uh, big institutional banks, etc. Et I, I genuinely think that's what would have happened. And so people wouldn't have felt they could have gone and spoken to someone, because if they did, God, what if that then gets out and, mm. you know, I'll, I'll be seen as having an issue. I probably won't get promoted or whatever. I, and I do believe that that was, it probably is and still, you know, it's not probably been eradicated completely. I think that is changing. It takes time. Um, and a, it takes time to change that sort of approach. Uh, and, and the bigger the organisation, the harder it is. Uh, I think in the big sort of corporate cultures, it's probably more of a challenge because very competitive um, environment where you know you're you're up against your peers to try and get promoted. Only somebody's going to get promoted, or who's going to get you know X pay rise or bonus, or you know and that drove a lot of behaviours that are probably not right. Uh, and also, did management and leadership really give it the airtime, you know, or did they just sort of tick the box? Oh yes, of course I'm interested in it. I would question that. Mm -hmm. And the more that's what I talked about, AB having a sort of family business feel. Uh, family businesses are at the other end, aren't they? But it's it's probably quite different cultures generally. It doesn't matter for it, forget yeah. financial services, but probably it is more about the family culture and the, the culture of everybody being, you know, of equal importance and all of that. So going from one extreme to the other, um, quite different uh, approaches, I would say. I, I don't think, I wouldn't be declaring victory yet across either A, society or B, you know, financial services and that, but I think things are improving. And it's down to folk like me and other leaders and then uh, people that work with them. It's about sort of doing the do, if you like, rather than just yeah. sort of talking it and just yeah. saying, oh yeah, we do. Do you know what I mean? If you're not an approachable person or you don't have time, and if, you know, you can get, if somebody comes to you and you've just not got to, you're busy and you, you don't give them an opportunity, you just don't know what that impact could be to that person. So it's trying to say, look, if somebody comes to you, you've got to give them the opportunity to speak. It doesn't matter if you're busy, you put the pen down or you, you know, you just close down the, key, the, the screen and you actually listen to them. And having that, approach is absolutely paramount if people are going to sort of really see change across I suppose society but also mm -hmm. the financial services yeah. and we're not there yet but it's improved a lot since <laughs> uh, the pre sort of 2008 days I would say things have changed a lot yeah I'm saying like an old man here but <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, but yeah so do you have uh, a leader that you've looked up to in the past or someone that's inspired you to become a good sort of business leader I have been fortunate through my time at RBS or Coots or Adam and their AB to have met loads of business leaders uh, of different sizes of businesses. I wouldn't say there's one that's, you know, I've, I would just pick out. It's, it's more sort of traits mm -hmm. of people, uh, good and bad, you know, that you pick out. So the, obviously the, the good traits are the ones that you think, gosh, I would like to sort of have those sorts of traits and, you know, in terms of like, Honesty, integrity, uh, 
openness, somebody who's engaging, a good communicator, someone who, you know, can make decisions and be accountable, but equally someone who's approachable, who values uh, the people who work for them, doesn't think it's all about them, i.e. having a bit of humility, being a bit humble, not always just sort of wanting the, the limelight for themselves. And I've, I've met quite a few people who have, you know, who I've been lucky enough to um, who demonstrate these traits, some to a greater or less extent than others, across totally different industries. So I wouldn't, I, I'm not one of these people who go, well, I really look up to Richard Branson, for example, because I've never met him. So I, I don't look up somebody I've never met. I find that quite difficult, yeah. I've yeah. a strange concept. I look up to people and I'm inspired by people who I have met and I think, you know, you've impacted me in a positive way. And I can take from the fact that you're a great communicator and people, when you talk, people listen to you and they really are engaged by you. And actually you talk with authenticity because you're, you know, you're not manufactured. Great, somebody else could be razor sharp, great decision maker. Might not be quite as engaging, but they might be a fantastic decision maker and very strategic and able to cut through, you know, everything that's going on and be able to see what's going on. Somebody else might be, um, a very, you know, a very a great role model in terms of they've achieved a huge amount, but they're quite humble and they actually give back a lot, uh, whether that be into organisation or into charity or whatever it might be into the, you know the community. And you think, gosh, that's a great way. So there's, I would say I've seen it across many different business leaders, owners, just because of the nature of working in wealth management, etc. Yeah. Uh, rather than picking out one um, individual individual person. I think being able to, people who empower people are pretty quite inspiring as well. I mean, you know, because that's trust. And two of the sort of core values we talk about a lot in, in AB Wealth, I'm really, keen to, for us to, to sort of anchor everything around our trust and credibility. doesn't matter whether you're dealing with somebody who's a client, one of your colleagues, third party, trust and do you, you know, credible. Do you do what you say you'll do? Do you follow through? Do you deliver, you know, et cetera? Do you know what you're talking about? Trust, are you actually doing the best thing by the other person or is it all about you? And if you've got those two things, you know, you, you tend to do quite well. And so it, the trust element, trusting your staff and empowering them, and that makes them feel valued. I think, God, I've got a, I'm actually playing a proper part in this organisation's future here. I'm not just taking orders. That's quite inspiring, yeah. and I've seen that. So, probably a bit of a long-winded way of answering <laughs> that. But, yeah. I, I think it's yeah. good. It's what's that? Um, Meredith is it Meredith Belvin, the brilliant group of minds, not the group of brilliant minds, whatever it is. Anyway, mm -hmm. bringing all the traits together. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes, yeah, um, so it would be wonderful to have them all. Um, yeah, hopefully that's going to be food for thought for our listeners um, out there looking to make changes to their firms. That's all we have time for this week. I hope you found this episode useful. Huge thanks to Fraser for being with us and as ever to Ian for setting stuff up and generally being an all-round good egg. <laughs> that's Ollie again, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> uh, if you've enjoyed this podcast, then please do subscribe on iTunes and leave us a nice review. Until next time, it thank it's thanks and goodbye.